Liberty, I'm keeping my baby. Ooh, very appropriate. Uh, hey, everybody, it's Stefan. Thanks for joining us for another episode of MLVC. As you heard today on the show, we have a very special guest, James Foley, who not only directed Madonna in three iconic music videos, but also helmed her wonderfully wacky 1987 comedy, Who's That Girl? James, welcome to the show. Very much. I cannot tell you how good it feels to hear who's that girl referred to as wonderful because at the time (laughs) (laughs) was released but uh thank god i've lived long enough that something has become iconic and magically turned from a flop into a classic pleases me and that is true, actually. I, I will say we are are very excited because we're we've been doing a Madonna summer movie series, and we're for this summer we're focusing on her '80s movies. So we've done Desperately Seeking Susan, Shanghai Surprise, and our last summer movie will be Who's That Girl? And we're so excited because it is one of our favorite all-time Madonna movies. Uh, I, I know it was not well received when it first came out, but I have loved it since 1987 when I saw it, and it. I, I have watched it way too many times. Yeah. yeah. Same goes for me. I mean, I have to say as a, a little 10-year-old at the time uh, that Who's That Girl was released, I was like, this is the greatest movie I think I've ever seen. <laughs> wow. And it's uh, such, just uh, – It's such – it's like uh, heroin onto like a pain that lasted for decades until suddenly I go on YouTube, which – owned by Google, surprise, surprise, and they know mm-hmm. everything about me, and they start showing me videos I might be interested in, and suddenly, like, who's that girl is present in the culture in 2022, and nothing's better than that, money or reviews or anything. For something yeah. to become iconic is the highest success. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, but James, before we get to ask you some questions, Liberty, do you want to give James a bio just in case there's anyone out there listening who might not know your storied career? Sure, with absolute pleasure. So James Foley is an American film director who had his directing debut in 1984. Since then, he's worked with top names in Hollywood movies, television, even some music videos. His 1986 film, At Close Range, was entered into the 36th Berlin International Film Festival, and some of his most well-known movies have been Glengarry Glenn Ross, Fear with Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon, and the two sequels to Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker, and Fifty Shades Freed. So absolute honor to speak with you today, Mr. Yes. Foley. Thank you. Feel good. So let's get started. I mean, I'm just going to kind of dive right in. How did you get involved in filmmaking? I went undergrad and graduated from SUNY Buffalo with a degree in uh, psychology 
and a preparation to go to medical school to become a certified shrink. But I made that decision after I graduated, and I had to wait. And at the moment, cinema was kind of in the air, and film schools were. And I lived in, well, I was born in Brooklyn, so I'm proud of that, but I did grow up in Staten Island. And I took a six-week course at NYU with the storied Professor Haig Manugian, which was just as a hobby mm-hmm. to try to see what – everybody had to go out with a little wind-up camera and you had like half a day to shoot something. I went over to Washington Square Park and there was a sandbox. And I did something which today I'd be in prison for. There were little <laughs> little girls playing in the sandbox. And so I got down – on their level with my camera to shoot them. I didn't know what I was doing, just trying to get the camera to work. And then I looked through and I saw these big masculine hands come into the frame and pick the child up, Mm. understandably. (laughs) And then, you know, if then we would screen the films the next day and who's ever one minute film didn't break in the projector was usually the best one. But mine (laughs) came up and when that image came happened with this child got the class of about 30 students in unison went oh! and it was an experience i had never felt before mm. where you do something don't tell anybody i didn't know what i was doing mm. but where people react in unison and it was no exaggeration like having an orgasm for the first yeah. time without knowing it, that, was, that, that was possible right. yeah. <laughs> and, and having the same reaction, which is let's do that again. Right. <laughs> and um, so then I just forgot about becoming a shrink and I wanted to go to film school and I decided I wanted to go to Hollywood. So instead of going to NYU, I went to the Harvard of film schools, USC Cinema, Mm. uh, which was the most life-changing three years of my life. Uh, I have such affection and and that really got me going. And ironically, just last week, I got a copy of my student thesis film oh, that nice. got me in the in the door, like in high res. I couldn't believe it. So um, I was very lucky through a lot of different things. I won't get into every detail, but that film was good enough. And then socially, I had met people through this guy named Josh Donnan, whose father was a famous director, Stanley Donnan, who did Singing in the Rain mm-hmm. and Two for the Road. And Josh, who did was the sound man in my movie, subsequently became one of David Fincher's agents at CAA. Then David said, why don't you leave CAA and just be my agent, which he did, which turned into Josh being a producer on House of Cards and David's movies and stuff like that. Um, So everything sort of started at USC and it still all 
goes back there. Mm. Yeah. And for your directorial debut, we're fast forwarding after you've graduated, you, you're in the film world. Your directorial debut was Reckless, starring a very young Aiden Quinn and Daryl Hannah. Aiden would go on to co-star in Desperately Seeking Susan, which was Madonna's first starring role in Hollywood. Did you, so two questions, did you see Aiden's star quality back then to know that he would be this actor working in Hollywood still to this day? And second question, did you get to see Desperately Seeking Susan prior to Who's That Girl? Aiden was, and it all does come back to Madonna because when I was casting for Reckless and I was cool and I lived across the street from Cantor's Deli on Fairfax, if you're aware of that. So I would have my meetings with these actors and I met all these guys for the part, which included Tom Cruise and Sean Penn and a bunch of guys, Emilio, you know, the Brat Pack, sure. all those mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sean was rejected, although to this day he will contest that. <laughs> <laughs> that I rejected him. But um, I couldn't find the guy uh, that I wanted. And at the last minute, um, I get this really crazy, I guess, VHS tape from uh, somehow this guy – Aiden Quinn, and he was like all over the place, had absolutely no acting discipline, but he communicated a feeling Mm -hmm. that I just, and I learned uh, throughout my life that that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. An actor coming in for a reading, if they're technically prepared and have made these choices, it's boring because it's their thing. Mm. It's when the actor comes in, it doesn't matter if they're way off course, but if they make you feel something, sure. then that's right. the person. And that was Aiden. Yeah. And then there was Daryl. Yeah. Where is Daryl? Is she still married to Neil Young? Am I making that up? Were they married? I didn't <laughs> know they were married. Uh, I didn't know they were. They were together, yeah. Oh, wow. But uh, – she went on to do interesting things, like be a mermaid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still trying to convince my kids to watch that movie. They're 14 and, and, and 11, so they're definitely not interested in anything mermaid-related. But I'm, I've am i been on like an 80s, 80s film thing with them because, again, you know, you get this sort of new generation thing. Um, mm. and, I, and I did have them watch uh, Who's That Girl, but we'll get – to that <laughs> at some point. Um, well, your second feature film after Reckless then was At Close Range with an incredible cast, including Christopher Walken, Mary Stuart Masterson, Kiefer Sutherland, and Sean Penn. So what was it like? I mean, at, at that point, working with this swath, this large swath of, of talented actors. I had no idea I was doing that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, uh, to condense the story, because it all reflects back to Madame M. <laughs> I had met Sean uh, to for Reckless when I rejected him, but somehow we connected and became friends. And at the time, his girlfriend was Pam Springsteen, mm-hmm. Bruce's younger mm-hmm. And then they broke up, and uh, typical Sean, he had nowhere to live. And I bought this house I'm still in, mm-hmm. uh, but I had practically no furniture. And he asked me if he could crash on my couch for a couple of days. Well, those couple of days turned into a year and a half. <laughs> and, wow. Um, 
during that time, I had made Reckless, which came out and was not successful. And I'll never forget Sean calling me after he had gone to see it with his new girlfriend from Downton Abbey, Elizabeth McGovern. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'll never forget Sean said, yeah, we saw it. We didn't like it. And <laughs> I think about that a lot because it somehow was not at all hurtful, Mm -hmm. but also then, so he was just getting hot. Um, He was on the cover of Rolling Stone for some reason. Anyway, Sean was on the cover of Rolling Stone, but so when I met him, he was not famous, Mm -hmm. but then he became famous, and I'll never forget that experience. And during the time he's on my couch, Two important things happened. One was that Elliot Lewitt, now deceased, the producer, and Nick Kazan, the writer, wanted Sean to do At Close Range. Mm -hmm. And Sean read it, and Sean said he would do it if I would direct it. Now, from their point of view, I was the director of Reckless Mm -hmm. and had no calling card, but to this day, and if I tear up sometimes, it's because the whole plague has turned me into a raw, oh. emotional thing. You and me both. Just Don't worry about me it. Me too. Uh-huh. <laughs> because finally, 50 years later, I better do it in case Sean ever hears this. I have never really thanked him because he just stuck to his guns. I will not do it unless he's the director. Wow. And if he hadn't done that... What would have been? I would not have gotten a script like that. And the second important thing that happened is lying on my couch watching the TV, and a video came on, and Sean said, um, because Sean was friends with Steve Zalian, if you know him, he's one of the biggest screenwriters, you know, Schindler's List and all Mm. this stuff. And he was friends with Sean, and Steve Zalian's sister-in-law was the second AD on the shoot of this chick Madonna making a new video just down on Sunset. And Sean said, you know, we could get in and check her out through the AD. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we did that. And I uh, can we see that in 3D IMAX Yeah, of uh, her sitting, sitting there uh, being made up. And I get introduced, and she was very warm and smiled, me and the Madonna that I got to know. And then it was Sean, and she looked at him and became somebody else. Mm. Like, a, you know, she became a queen. And that was a button that she pushed in Sean that led to everything else. (laughs) Um, But so those two things were happening at the same time. And so I have photos, which I'll never publish since they'll be in the, in the uh, cloud of Madonna here in this house in the eighties, you know, with her hair pulled back in a bun eating Chinese food and some of it's dripping off of her mouth. Oh, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I know. But what's interesting is that, so what year was that? That was before I made it close range. And so I remember only now that I started with her. And when I had met her then, she was living in an apartment east of here in Hollywood. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, it's happening in the present. So you don't 
really see it until it's 2022 and you look at YouTube and you see where she went right. from a, a video or from, you know, like a virgin on MTV to sticky and sweet tour, you right. know, and it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so you're working with Sean Penn and you're doing at close range. How did Madonna's music get involved in the, in the movie? Because you basically used live to tell all throughout that movie, which I thought was beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful song by her and Patrick Leonard. And I loved yeah. that you sort of used the score of that song throughout the score of your movie. You're saying all the right things. <laughs> <laughs> because because that was definitely my idea, very much resisted by the producers in the studio. Mm. I just love that song. And I'm, you know the history of it. It was written for another movie and blah, blah, blah. And she wasn't going to do it. And I remember her playing the song for me on a, eight, on a cassette. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little cassette. And um, it was, as you know, famously, her vocal is a demo. She had no intention of singing it, but she thought it might be good for the film and some man should sing it. Mm. <laughs> and I said, uh, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it sounds pretty good. And I just reacted to that song as if it kind of... I'm not exaggerating. I realize now it went into my ears, into my blood, and it the DNA of the song and of the movie in my head intermixed. So that music became everything. And Pat Leonard, who had never scored a movie, I asked him to do it and to use all the different variations mm -hmm. of that. And in the beginning, he was a little resistant because, you know, he's a composer. He doesn't want to keep on being limited to the same. But I think what he did, and I'm not a musician, but the way he used that stuff that for me, when I watched it put together, it's like all the score was like a tease yes. intro mm -hmm. to the song that hits in the end, yes. which to me, that's a orgasm on many yeah. levels. <laughs> And so, um, and then the video, but you know, this is happening at the same time because famously we're down in Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, shooting at close range while they're together for the first time. Yeah. And, and suddenly they're like our thousand paparazzi in Franklin, Tennessee and famously Sean hitting one of them wow. so they're, they're just together so you know actors have their trailers yeah. where they wait and it was like okay say to the ad go get sean we're ready and sometimes he didn't come right away <laughs> and the ad involved in knocking on the door was saying i don't think uh he's i think he's i think he's busy right now <laughs> yes yeah, so all that was going on at the same time. It led to just an ongoing whatever happened next. Um, so let me ask you, so while you were doing the movie, is that when the conversation of directing Madonna in the Live to Tell video came up? Is that how that sort of that relationship got forged? You know, I don't exactly remember, but there was going to be a video, and at the time it was if there were videos for movies, you would intercut footage mm -hmm. from the movie. 
And so I had this idea of wanting her, which don't tell anybody, but it's kind of a repeat of Papa Don't Preach in that you're intermixing her as Madonna with other stuff. Yeah. And in this case, God, did you, did I send you that thing that just recently you got did. published yes. on? The- yes, it was very funny. No, no. Oh. Yeah, but no, the the anniversary of the video, I have to subsequently send it to you, that was on Instagram of stuff I was not aware of, of art critics mm-hmm. over the years talking about the genius of the video and her interaction as if she is speaking to the character, not to Sean Penn. Oh, but interesting. Brad, and I thought, whoa, it's highfalutin. <laughs> but I've made a bunch of stuff, and some stuff is more famous, like Glengarry. Of everything, there are only certain things that are mine, mm. you know, mm-hmm. 100% mine, like every shot, every idea. And among them is, of course, Live to Tell, since every image in Live to Tell was something that was from my mind and I had this wonderful relationship with her where on all three videos um it was a no record company had you know was allowed to come anywhere close to Mm -hmm. it and she was on some drug where she thought I knew what I was doing (laughs) and so she (laughs) she and she loved the movie, and so we uh, we did that. Uh, and the one thing was her showing up, or I saw it beforehand in that look mm-hmm. that she had, mm-hmm. which when I first saw her in like a dress I, like my grandmother would wear. Yeah, was- my, my first reaction was, "Whoa, do you know what you?" doing i didn't say that thank god because <laughs> she sure did but when i think about that um that's one of the things where it's my video and everything but it was her choice to appear in that dress with her hair like that right. mm-hmm. and, and it is so perfect that uh, i consider that video and pop it on preach as two of my best, most personal cinematic things. Because Papa Don't Preach is literally in Staten Island mm-hmm. because yeah. we were talking about it. I remember up at Warner Brothers for some reason, and I was young, I had an Alfa Romeo convertible, and we're sitting there, and she's eating candy, loves candy. Mm-hmm. And where should we shoot it? I say Staten Island. She goes, Staten Island? Why? <laughs> and I said, because I grew up there. I went to high school there. And if I go back and make a video with you, everyone I went to high school with will know. <laughs> and she, uh, she did that classic spitting out her candy. She thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And as you know, we wound up going to Staten Island. And it cost an extra, she never told me, but an extra like 75000 bucks which she was paying for out of her pocket wow. on and when nobody else was usually the record company pays, but she paid for it and owns the copyright. And so every shot in Papa Don't Preach is my life in Staten Island. 
And most dramatically now, I look at the opening when she's walking, and there are the Twin Towers, mm-hmm. and yeah. that just... The Twin Towers appear twice yeah. in the video. Anyway, Papa Don't Preach is much more a James Foley film than Glengarry Glen Ross. Mm. And as for True Blue, I definitely like it, but it was, because you remember, it wasn't even supposed to be on MTV. Yeah. It was like, make my, make my video. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody wanted to spend any money. It's like, it was $50,000. We're in New York. Can you think of anything we can do? And we came up with that. But now I look at it, and it's kind of cool. But uh, I don't think it rises to the level of Papa or or Live to Tell. And it's interesting because I did a close range, and I was the director. And just because Sean got me the job, he never – he was totally respectful of me as the director. Mm -hmm. He never threw his weight around. And simultaneously, she's saying – I'm making my next video, you know, you want to do it. And I just made up what it was and she did it. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember like, was it Jeff Aroff? Uh, all these people from Warner Brothers are like, they want to know what it is. And it's a really big, important thing. And she's like, don't talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> and they were not allowed to know anything about it or come anywhere close to it and i'll leave off with something that to me is so personal is the fucking staten island ferry mm-hmm. which if you grew up in staten island and you're interested in like seeing a movie you have to take the ferry and go up to the upper side to see a movie so the ferry but we've realized we had to rent a ferry uh-huh. <laughs> so we bought it and shot it and then I, we're finished and i remember and AD saying the captain wants to see you. I go up there and he says, Well, you got two hours left. Where do you want to go? We're in New York Harbor. And, this, and I said, What do you mean? He says, Well, you want to go up the river? You want to go this way? I, and that was just overwhelming mm-hmm. to me that ferry could drive around. We had like a rap party on the ferry. Oh, nice. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds fun. It was. So we're commemorating the 35th anniversary of Who's That Girl with uh, this August 13th. Unbelievable. And now. <laughs> time, time Square. How about that footage? That blows my mind. Yeah. Right? The premiere in Times Square, which I had no idea existed. YouTube is the greatest thing ever. How did Who's That Girl, the film, come to be? Asked by this man called Roger Birnbaum, who was a producer who had this script called Slammer, and um, they wanted Madonna in it, and in and I had made Reckless, which was a flop, and uh, at close range, which was critically. So the idea of me directing a fucking comedy mm-hmm. was absurd. But in the world of Hollywood, they wanted Madonna and they knew my connection to her. So they were happy to have me. And um, I felt the script was in need of a lot of work. And, you know, I talked to her and we both agreed. And it's Warner Brothers, so we're hiring writers. And um, But the honest truth is, you know, we had a start date. Because she had her tour mm, planned, sure. so we had to start shooting. 
and the we had hired writers, and I'll never forget the final draft of the script came in, and I'm in New Jersey, and it's humid, and at the writer's house, and I'm reading it, and I did not like it. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, um, which is why I feel so good decades later. But, you know, I'm doing it, so your mind goes into, I'm doing this yeah. the best I possibly can. And the shooting of it was just, and I see footage I've never seen from behind the scenes, because you only see what you see outwards. You see crowds and stuff on Fifth Avenue and Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. I just saw on you a behind the scenes thing of our shooting on Fifth Avenue and this police barricades and all these people. And then there's Donald fucking Trump <laughs> who, who wanted a picture with Madonna. Um, and I just, and if you watch any of these, I'll send you some links. What I love is you see our relationship and it is so relaxed. And even a photo I've never seen before, it shows up on Instagram and I'm tagged in Mm -hmm. it. I don't know who took it, but it's in between shots of who's that girl. She's in costume. We're sitting on the bumper of a Rolls Royce having a conversation, just the two of us. And I say this with honesty. I've never seen that picture. First of all, I'm incredibly young. I'm incredibly handsome, which I wish somebody had told me. (laughs) But what amazes me, and I'm being honest, is she's sitting there and she's looking at me and I'm doing the talking and my body language is so relaxed and she's listening. My first reaction is, fuck, it's Madonna. Mm -hmm. And she's listening to me right. which is something you don't experience at the moment You're right but there's even all these little things where in the middle of shooting she gets an award for papa as the biggest video in the world so they want to come in and shoot it and she's talking and being funny and whoever's talking to her said what best video you hear that jamie and i hear my voice and to hear her say you hear that jamie hear my voice is like whoa (laughs) i'm watching some alternate history movie of my life but we had um our relationship was always incredibly direct warm and funny and uh and i i have i really of and another thing about the plague, you start thinking about who are your friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And though I had not, I've not seen you in a million years, of all the people I've met in my life, there are a small number of people who I feel I really love. And and now to look back, because when it's happening, you don't take it in. But to look back and see her now that I knew I knew her, mm-hmm. yeah. and she's the same person, and she looks different. But when I listen to her every once in a while, I hear that same woman who spit out her candy at the idea of shooting in Staten Island, yeah. you know, talk, talking with this accent outside Detroit. So I got nothing but love for her and respect artistically that is off the charts. I actually w- won a bet. I shouldn't embarrass him, but Ed Burns, if you know who Ed Burns is, he, uh, and he's in confidence, and he is actually one of my friends. And, it's, and I'll never forget, I don't know what year it was, but something came on, and it was about 
the Hall of Fame, who was going to be inducted. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Somebody mentioned Madonna. Eddie didn't know her at all, and I had to deal with that with friends who didn't know her. Oh, they only knew her from TV, right. and and mostly women were very easy to sit down at lunch and launch into a tirade against her, <laughs> like. And I said, excuse me, no, she's a real person and a friend of mine. You've never met her. Mm-hmm. You uh-huh. only sing. But anyway, Eddie, I said she's going to get inducted, and Eddie said that's ridiculous and bet me $1,000, <laughs> only bet I ever did. <laughs> and, of course, she got inducted. I got the check, and I sent it back. But that was however long that was. And recently I saw him and he laughed and he said, well, if I knew then, well, I knew now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I want to ask real quick. So at the time you were directing uh, Who's That Girl, obviously Madonna's True Blue album, just like she was the one of the biggest pop stars on the planet at the time you were filming on the streets of New York City. What was that craziness like filming with Madonna and a tiger? (laughs) Cougar. A oh, cougar. And a quick aside, I, with my new awakenings, it's like the way we treat animals and the whole idea of SeaWorld, all that disgusts me, and my memory of my beloved mother being nice and taking us to Madison Square Garden to Ringling Brothers Circus mm-hmm. so we could sit there as humans mm-hmm. and watch elephant being whipped. I mean, the whole thing repulses me. So I'm just about to use my Instagram thing where I got followers of all these crazy women Mm -hmm. globally who on a daily basis demand that I release the uncut version of 50. (laughs) Does not exist. And I want to say, you know, guys, it's been a while. Get a life. Yeah. But let's clear the air. Yeah. There's an audience, so I wanted to say something about animal. And somehow something came across my face. It was behind the scene things, and it was about what you're talking about. What is it like to shoot with this cougar? Mm-hmm. And I thought, my God, I'm the guiltiest person on the planet using this animal to amuse mm-hmm. the humans. Right. So I realized I better not go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was um, it was great, but what is fascinating is to see now the making of it because, for instance, on Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower, this picture is me and her standing there waiting, and you see all these barricades of the bridge and tunnel people, if you know who that is. Yep. And I look out. And I see my sister hmm. behind one of those barricades. So, so I walk up. You know, there's tens of thousands of people, and my sister won't hear this. But uh, and I said, "What are you doing here? You know, come on, you know, meet Madonna." And she was, "No, no, 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 no." She, she was too scared. But again, I'm looking out the people. I never saw what it looked like to be in the crowd looking back. Mm -hmm. And it's cinematic in a way because that's what you want to do with cinema, to show something from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. So that experience 
and seeing this long thing of the animal trainers, and I had forgotten there were sharpshooters up in buildings, and it was a big thing. But I do remember being aware that trainer said, you know, it's a wild animal. And then one scene, and who's that girl when she appears before the board of this highfalutin building yes. to get yeah. the co-op. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I love that scene. And, um, yeah, so cool. But the scene was the cougar is sitting next to her and I'm aware because the animal people, that cougar could just turn and bite her thigh off. Right. Yeah. And I was so nervous about it. And she acted like it was no problem at all, but later confided she was not unaware. <laughs> but um, it, so that was, but it was such a great thing. But I didn't know who she was yet because time yeah. hadn't passed, you know? And I had met her when she's living in an apartment, Hollywood Boulevard. So. And then she bought her first place in Central Park West and um, had no furniture in it. It just was happening. Mm -hmm. But when things happen, they happen in uh, in real time. So suddenly I go from her sitting there eating Chinese food and I'm at that concert outside of Paris, the one where there's like 100,000 people or something. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. remember there was like a VIP thing behind a chain link fence and Sylvester Stallone is back there. But the crowds were so big, I freaked out. And I went backstage and I watched it from there. Wow. But I'm watching the back of her in this crowd, so I never saw it until I saw it on YouTube from a helicopter shot, and I thought I was there. But the fact that she – I didn't realize how fast it had happened Mm. and how – to see, because I watch, it's wonderful, uh, the tours that you can watch in stadiums and things – and you see the transition and you see this woman who looks like, yes, I should be in front of 100,000 people and they should yeah. be watching my every move. And my God, that uh, – what tour was that where, uh, you know, express yourself? Blunt ambition. Blunt oh, my ambition. God. To see that in Uprest, I just watched it and I – the way she – dances, the professionalism, and I realized she must have had to practice that a lot. <laughs> but it, yeah. but I never n- knew that. I never thought about that. But you watch it mm-hmm. now, and I show it to younger people who have never seen it, who are told blown, so blown away by the sophistication and the absolute radicalness of the dance moves and the sexuality, which is wrapped, there's no raunch, but it pushes the envelope, but she's dripping in glamour. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. every single move and the empowerment of the song is, to me, breathtaking. How did she go from MTV Awards writhing on the stage to that in about five minutes? Yeah. She was quick. Well, what's to me, what's always super fascinating is that that is pre 
internet pre-social media that this that this power that she in a sense wielded without maybe necessarily knowing perhaps she did I'm just kind of going by conjecture, but (laughs) she learned, (laughs) learned, right? Um, But it it was so. It's even more captivating to me now to look at that that type of of star power and the rise. To me, that's that is. I mean, I I hate to use the the cliche rags to riches, but this sort of that the work and the grit, the ultimate do not give up. Whereas now it's like, if I don't have a hundred thousand followers by my 12th video. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, what is amazing is that I would like to get inside the head of somebody who just went so fast from what was the, uh, the first one, the like a virgin tour. What was it called? Virgin um, tour. The first tour was like a virgin tour. Yeah. The virgin tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so small. And, and uh, but the progression is relentlessly up, up, up to a quality level. And I've I've watched all the tours and I saw most of them, but I never saw the sticky and sweet, the whole, I think it was shot in South America or somewhere. Yeah, Argentina. Mm -hmm. Yes, and now the whole thing of this helicopter shot of the stadium in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And she comes out and they scream, but she's there and she's walking around like, and I think to myself, because I was going to be a shrink, what is that like where you feel that it makes sense that these people are screaming to you? But what's amazing, she delivers the state of the art. There is no laziness. There is no, no. staying in place. And nobody has done that. She just got no changed and changed and changed and you know she's not doing uh, what he whatever he has called covers in vegas of her hits thank uh, thank goodness oh, yeah. oh. thank goodness yeah uh, yeah and then that ain't never gonna happen yeah. <laughs> no uh so james i want to ask so speaking of star quality You've been able to work with some incredible movie stars throughout your career. Halle Berry, Al Pacino, Jonathan Price, Dustin Hoffman, Bruce Willis, Gene Hackman. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, even more recently in Fifty Shades, you got to work with Jamie Dornan, who I think is a total up-and-coming, huge, mega star. Um, yeah. Do you have any favorite memories from all of the films that you worked on or at any of the any um, of specific actors that you worked with? I, all those people you mentioned, uh, my great gift uh, as a director, and uh, I don't have other gifts that other directors have, but the one gift I have is I love actors. Mm-hmm. And I love good actors. And so for me, uh, my relationship with the leads, you know, more time, is always based on I always get to know them before. And I cast them and I have to meet them. Do we connect? So when we show up on the set the first day, it's not like strangers. We already have a relationship that is exclusive. And I'm not one of those directors who would Ever, if there were like four actors in a scene, stand there and yell out direction to somebody, because my direction is has to do with 
that particular person. And I don't want the other actor to know what's coming. But also what I learned, because in film school, there was one class in directing actors from this idiot guy who had one of those shops on Hollywood Boulevard. And he, it was nothing. But what I learned and came to full fruition in Glengarry was that my job was not for the actor to learn my language, but for me to learn theirs. And in that movie, they all spoke different languages. And particularly Jack Lemmon and Al Pacino was like, one was speaking Greek and the other is speaking Arabic. So mm-hmm. they can't hear what I'm saying to them. So each one I would have to talk in their language. And when I see photographs, I have one of me on the set. And there were pictures of me directing these actors. And for the life of me, my body language is I'm all confident and cool. And I think, whoa, I'm a good actor because I didn't feel that. But I'm directing Jack Lemmon and he's there, you know, like Madonna's looking at me. And these actors are looking at me and listening to me, but I wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, But I will say the one most, and it came back to me and I will get through it concisely and I will not cry. So many of these actors, I was warned by agents and producers. They're monsters. They're monsters. Everybody from Sean to Al, all difficult Nobody was ever difficult. Mm-hmm. And Gene, Hack- Gene Hackman came with the worst reputation of his oh. thing with directors. Um, just uh, crazy. And actually, Josh Don and David Fincher's partner had produced this movie, The Quick and the Dead, starring Sharon Stone and a kid called Leo DiCaprio. And Gene came in for a week or something and they had already been shooting and it was directed by Sam Raimi who famously, unlike me, has storyboards of the entire movie of every single shot. So it's Gene Hackman's first day and Sam doesn't know him. He comes up to him and he shows Gene drawings and says to Gene, so when you say this line you with your right hand, you pull and Gene listened and said, can I see that? He took the book and he threw it as far as he could and said, quote, you're out of your fucking mind. But that is something that idea is insane to me that you're telling Gene Hackman when to move. Anyway, so Gene Hackman comes and does the chamber. We shoot for a week. It's Friday. I'm tired. I'm going to my car. And a PA comes up and says, Gene's asking if you could stop by his trailer before you leave. And my first reaction as a Catholic (laughs) growing up, and he's going to scream at me for something. But I had to go, knock on the door, and he's a big star. He's got a huge trailer. He says, Jamie, he says, come in. And I open the door, and he is way at the other end, and he's – half undressed he was playing a guy in death row and he's half undressed and he doesn't come any closer and he says in a very halting shy way something like i just wanted to say that it's been a great week and i want you to know that 
And I, at the time, of course, you're disconnected from your emotions. I said, Mm. oh, great, thanks. Closed the door and I went home. And I swear to God, it was only a couple of years ago that I remembered that. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, for someone like Gene Hackman to tell me that he thought I was a good director. And the reason I got into the Academy early was Jack Lemmon, for whatever reason, I mean, fucking Billy Wilder directed him, but he thought I should be in the Academy, and he praised me so much, and it takes a long time to let that sink in. So at this point, thank God for media, where films just don't disappear, I only now can I look back and that and that movie The Chamber was a flop, but who gives a fuck? Gene Exactly. (laughs) Popeye Popeye Doyle and because I never connected, you know, I went up to the upper side to watch French Connection or Serpico or Dog Day or The Godfather. Because I Mm -hmm. knew Al and when you're with Al in the kitchen, he's not Michael Corleone. <laughs> and you're not. <laughs> what? And, he's not, and the interesting thing, quickly, is I'm fascinated by fame because a whole lot of famous people have been in this house, but fame doesn't exist unless there's fans. Right. So I can mm-hmm. clearly remember I made that movie After Dark, My Sweet, and it was small budget. They didn't have money for a premiere, but the producer saying, if you can get Madonna to come. So I asked her as a favor. And I have a picture. It's that picture of her eating the food. Now it's time to go. She goes in this little bathroom, does this, and Google it, Madonna at the After Dark My Suite, and she turns into Madonna. (laughs) And, of course, there's there's a billion photographs of it. But when I think of that, nobody knows she's there because she's doing this for a friend, and she turned herself from – Madonna Ciccone into this character, Madonna, to help my movie. Mm-hmm. That oh, that's makes, amazing. That makes me cry, too. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, <clears throat> James, before we let you go, we like to do a little thing we like to call the lightning round. These are questions that the, the answers are just meant to be quick off the top of your head, wherever you're at in your Madonna journey today. Don't think too hard. Favorite Madonna song? Um, hands down, Power of Goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Oh, wow. Good yes. Okay. Favorite Madonna music video. And yes, it can be one that you directed. Uh, I, I have to say Express Yourself. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, I mean, I think David's a genius. Yeah. But, and that, that was wow. What else you got? <laughs> Favorite Madonna tour. Tour. Uh, um, Sticky and Sweet. Um which I didn't see in person, but I saw the high def video of it. And mm-hmm. I mean, when she does Vogue and Sticky and Sweet, yes. it's like that's where you you see the progression. I mean, every time she does did Vogue, it was something brand new. And and the sticky and sweet, the movements, wow! Yeah, mm-hmm. she was so athletic in that tour; it was crazy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Yeah. Favorite Madonna movie, and yes, it can be one that you directed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it's desperately seeing Susan. Uh, Quintessential Madonna. uh, Yeah, I mean the 
on blowing her armpits <laughs> in Port yeah, Authority. Such a cool scene. All right, la- last question. Favorite Madonna look, and it can be from a music video, a tour, a photo shoot in person. Well, there's uh, a private photo I have, which was taken on the set of uh, I Live to Tell because Herb Ritz was there mm-hmm. to shoot her. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny because we're leaving. And I knew Herb from her. And so we're leaving. And I said to Herb, uh, you know, take our picture. I put my arm around her. And <laughs> only later did Madonna said something funny. Like, because Herb went, uh, because Herb Ritz is not a guy you ask to take a snapshot. <laughs> right. but, just like the random picture. But he did. And he just went like this. And it is the most beautiful picture. But that doesn't count. His picture, the cover of True Blue, that that's oh, gorgeous. That to me is the announcement of a goddess. Yes, and it was God. It was beautiful. It is beautiful, and you look at it now and talk about iconic. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing and, like it really. That's her before or since and. and the people when I first met her, you know, and that and Marty, her friend Marty um, Bergoin, uh, mm-hmm. obviously a bunch of people died on her, and yeah. I knew him, I knew Herb, and I, she has feelings, believe it or not. Yeah, of course, <laughs> and, yeah, of course. And, I, and when you share that with somebody, and then somebody's never met her sits down and trashes her like she's just this has no emotions and is this creature called Madonna and no doubts you know but you know in the beginning when all of a sudden the cover of the New York news is what a tramp and the release of the I mean that was real Mm -hmm. yeah um, and it's it's something that I think a lot of people forget about because of the per, the, the larger than life persona. Yes. Sometimes people forget yeah. that there's an actual human exactly attached. Or, Ma- uh, Madonna, and I always say Madonna is a character create created by a real person, Madonna Ciccone, who has insecurities yeah. and everything else. Yeah. But people don't know that, and I always ask, "What's her last name?" <laughs> and nobody knows. I say, how many real people do you know that have no last name and have no insecurities and always looks beautiful? Mm-hmm. People are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except me. Yeah. No, of course. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us this insight and for just kind of taking us a little bit down memory lane yeah. and, and giving us a little bit of a different view. By the way, I, all bullshit aside, I have listened, not to every episode, but I, I, I know your podcast. Uh, and, Thank you. And mm-hmm. once in a while it touched on something I was involved with, and it was really accurate. So props to you. Oh, thanks. Well, thank <laughs> you. That's a that's a big compliment. We appreciate that you that you've taken some time to listen because for us this is uh, mostly Stefan. He's the um, the man behind the sort of the Wizard of Oz, if you will, behind <laughs> the, the curtain. He seems to know um, a lot. But he, he does know so much and he's and he works tirelessly to give um to always put a light on the story of Madonna yes. because it's really difficult to find 
that. Yes. Yeah. And what I like, there's that space. There, it seems very informative and real. It, nothing is fawning. There's obviously a res- obvious respect, but there's no, what's the word, hagiography, where you're acting more like a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a fan, but you're digging into the reality of what's behind that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Artistic accomplishments, yes, we, ongoing. We are here to pay reverence. Yes, yes. and I appreciate yeah. it, as do lots of people. Yeah, and, and I will echo Liberty's comments. James, thank you very much. We appreciate you coming on the show today. This was wonderful. I, I can't thank you enough for being involved in Who's That Girl? I, I know that might have been a source of contention, having it not been well-received at the time, but as a Liberty said, as a 10-year-old oh. little boy, I was in love with that movie, and I still am to this day. Mm-hmm. Tell all of our listeners where they can find you online. You can find me on Instagram at Director James Foley. And on Facebook, I have a Foley Film Inc. account as well as a Jamie Foley account. Yeah, I'm very proud of my Instagram. I think about what I put on Instagram. And the only time I got flack was... I'm a acolyte of Michelle Obama, and there was a clip of her talking so eloquently. And what I always love about her is that she's decked out in Gucci or something, looking beautiful and speaking with intelligence. And I posted it and said, we should establish a monarchy and make her the queen. And I Found out not all my followers are all Michelle Obama fans, but fuck them. Fuck them. That's right. There you go. (laughs) Well, and everyone, remember, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MLVC Podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast on Venmo at MLVC Podcast or think about becoming a subscriber on Patreon to help keep this podcast going, patreon.podbean.com forward slash MLVC Podcast. James, thank you so much again. This was wonderful. Uh, Liberty, thank you. Thank you both. And when I hear my podcast, then I'll go in on to those sites and uh, make my contribution, oh. depending on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Good luck, guys. Thank you. <laughs>